Season 6 of Let's Talk About Sects is proudly presented by Audio-Technica, who are a huge supporter of Australian creators and whose equipment is a big reason why the show sounds great. Each episode this season, we're giving away a pair of ATH SQ1TW wireless earbuds to a listener. Head to www.ltaspod.com slash win to enter. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In an interview with Avatar's own Perspective publication in 1996, Harry Palmer spoke of the philosophical abyss one is confronted with when deciding what to believe, a decision he frames as the principal dilemma of existence. He said, quote, At the edge of this abyss are the shops of the belief peddlers. Some shops are lavish and hallowed with histories. Some are Volkswagen buses driven by cult recruiters. Everybody is selling a program and a one-way pass to the land of truth on the other side of the abyss. The belief that Harry Peddles came to him after a number of years with Scientology and is delivered through the program he calls Avatar. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we get into this episode, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing related to emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. This episode also includes mentions of suicide and psychosis. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening to. Harry Palmer was born on the 3rd of April 1944, and the many biographies I unearthed across various iterations of the Avatar website and publications over the years mention nothing about his childhood. In recounting an early experience with Scientology in his book Living Deliberately, Harry writes about unearthing past trauma and conjuring up experiences of disaster to meet the course requirements. After finding himself in a cold sweat and writhing on the floor, he kept a part of himself detached and thought, quote, Why was I creating the memory if all I wanted to do was get rid of it? I think about it so I can stop thinking about it. I wasn't thinking about it in the first place. Who is in charge of my mind, me or my mind? Does my mind know something I don't know? Raising his doubts with the Scientologist ethical officer, he was told that he needed to stop avoiding the incident to better deal with it. But he writes that his appetite for suffering had suffered. Harry shares that this experience put in place a core concept of his later teachings in Avatar. The idea that the past only holds influence over the present or the future if you let it. This is total conjecture on my part, but it had me wondering whether it's so difficult to come by information about Harry's upbringing because of some kind of traumatic experience he isn't keen to engage with any further. It's unusual to not find some kind of retelling of a charismatic leader's early years, even if it might be somewhat mythologised, at least in my experience of researching for this podcast. An article entitled The Quest that Harry wrote for his own Avatar journal in 1992 includes in and about the author section that he studied engineering from 1962 to 63 at Clarkson College of Technology, then world literature at Corning Community College in 1964. 
Then again, it also says that he received an MA in educational psychology from Elmira College, 1969, which turns out to be a lie. The article is about the human quest for enlightenment and the meaning of existence. Harry writes, My own quest began in the perilous psychedelic revolution of the 60s. He goes on to say, The quest carried me through a dozen or more psycho-religious cults and gurus in the 70s. Yogananda, Hare Krishna, Ruani Satsang, Kirpal Singh, Zen Buddhism, Raja Yoga, etc., finally into the paranoid sphere of L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology disciples for an expensive dose of disappointment and betrayal. The current Avatar website includes a quote from Harry about some kind of epiphany he had in Los Angeles in the early 1970s, whereby, The world and the mind were suddenly synonymous, a perfect coincidental alignment of mental thought and physical reality, so simple, so pure. The mind had become the universe, or perhaps it was the other way around. It's hard to get a sense of the timelines, but since Harry started running the Church of Scientology's Elmira mission in 1974, presumably his epiphany happened when he was already involved with Scientology. Sometime around this period, Harry started dating a woman named Avra Honeysmith, who remains his partner today, though it seems they never married. Harry studied for his undergraduate degree at Ithaca College and his master's at Elmira College and was working in the New York school system before he took on the Elmira Mission presidency. Some former mission staff members say that he had been a school counsellor and was asked to resign after bringing Scientology techniques into his workplace. For the next decade, he ran the Elmira Scientology mission and at one point ran a satellite TV company on the side. The mission sent 10% royalties back to Scientology Missions International. It may be a surprise to learn how long Harry was involved with Scientology, considering how quickly he seemed to become disillusioned with it from his writings in Living Deliberately. By the way, at the front of this book, a publisher's note and disclaimer states that the characters and events described in the text of Living Deliberately are intended to entertain and teach rather than present an exact factual history of real people or events. The contributions back to Scientology HQ had been raised to 15% by 1984, when it seems that Harry decided to stop paying them. The Church of Scientology sued him in 1985, and while an initial judgment went Harry's way, they continued to pursue trademark infringements until the case was eventually settled in 1987, with Harry agreeing to cease using certain Scientology terms. He renamed the Elmira mission as the Centre for Creative Learning. Harry's 1992 article for the Avatar Journal says that in September 1986, quote, In a moment, I not only comprehended but could experience an ancient thread of truth that ran throughout the most profound religious and philosophical literature of man. For several days, I defined new levels of consciousness to explore, finally settling for a state of cosmic bliss just below limitless, and began to laugh. This seems to be a separate epiphany from the aforementioned early 1970s transcendental experience but there's a chance the dates are a little fluid here. Certainly, the origin stories of the Avatar courses appear to change throughout archived versions of the organization's materials. According to the current Avatar website, Harry Palmer launched a spiritual development workshop in his New York living room in 1987 to train participants to recognise limiting beliefs and to create reality deliberately. Supposedly, Avatar-associated courses have been taught in 150 countries to over 100,000 people with Harry's writing being translated to over 30 languages. It also says that Harry's talks have half a million views on YouTube, but this podcast has over 4 million downloads at this point, so I'm not sure that's as impressive a statistic as it might seem. In early February 1988, Lisa Bennett wrote a series of special reports for the Elmira Star Gazette. According to her investigations, it seems that when the Church of Scientology was suing Harry, he solicited funds from his then-Scientology followers at the Elmira Mission in the form of prepayment for courses. But when the case was settled, the courses were dropped as Harry took the Centre for Creative Learning in a different direction, and possibly because of the trademark infringing elements of them. When the devotees who had supported him in this way asked for their money back, he told them it was all gone. Former staff member Linda Rosen told Lisa Bennett that she knew of people who took out loans to help support the centre when Harry said it was at risk of closing. Kathy Rain was one of them, and all up she cobbled together $50,000 from various lending institutions to hand over to the mission. Marianne Helsing, another former staff member, told the journalist that 10 to 20 followers paid $40,000 in advance to cover all of the courses offered at the time. Third in command in the early days of Avatar, after Harry and Avra, was a woman named Margie, 
She spoke with the Elmira Star Gazette in 1988, and more recently in a 2018 interview with a YouTube channel called Avatar Uncovered, Margie said of this time, He left a lot of people in great financial ruin. He dropped us, basically. We loved him very much. We revered him. She continued, He left a lot of supporters in financial ruin and they were betrayed, and they had a lot of problems that they had to sort out. He left us all behind so that he could move forward with Avatar. Harry is quoted in the 1988 article series as saying, This is an extortion campaign, pure and simple. They saw the success of Avatar and they're trying to cash in. Margie knew of staff members who were being paid $75 a week back at the Centre for Creative Learning, which was something she experienced herself when it was still the Scientology mission. For that fee, she was working 10 to 12 hour days, six days a week, and had to hold down a regular job as a hairdresser on top of that for her living expenses and to pay off her debts. In a 1989 affidavit, Kathy Rain wrote that, Paradoxically, the deeper I was into Harry's group, the happier I told myself I was, especially after all I had invested. But the truth was that I was living in pure hell, and I could have admitted it then and there if I thought it was safe enough to do so. Margie also shared in the 2018 YouTube interview that Harry once told her at an airport that he got the material for Avatar from a spaceship in his backyard. The story most often told is that he came up with it in a sensory deprivation tank he brought home and spent eight days floating in. An archived version of the Avatar website says this about Harry. Writer, teacher, lecturer, scientist, programmer, environmentalist, businessman, spiritual leader, explorer. Harry Palmer is truly a Renaissance man, end quote. For a number of years, he claimed to be a qualified educational psychologist, but was issued with a cease and desist from the Florida Board of Health. The current version is a little more brief and says, Harry Palmer is an author, teacher and speaker dedicated to the spiritual awakening of humanity. According to the current Avatar website, Harry created Star's Edge International in 1990 to manage and present his personal development programs that empower people to create peace in their lives and live deliberately. Reflecting the contradictory timelines of much of the organization's history, the Avatar Oceania website says that Harry founded Star's Edge four years earlier, in 1986. Lisa Bennett wrote of Star's Edge research and development in her article series as the for-profit company Harry told his followers the Avatar money was going towards whereas their lost funds had gone to the centre, which was not-for-profit and classified as a church. Today, Star's Edge International is based in Florida, and the current trainer team includes avatar trainers across Europe, Asia, Oceania and the USA. Of the 16 photographs on the site at the time of researching this episode, 13 appear to be women. I've come across avatar being referred to as Scientology light in a few places. And Harry did originally promise that the courses would cover the entire Scientology bridge, the Buddhic path and beyond. Though he stopped using a number of Scientology terms after the trademark infringement suit, some are still present across the courses, including rundown, which loosely means a training exercise. Another overlap with Ron L. Hubbard's science fiction interests might be drawn from a lecture he gave in January 1991 on the Galactic Confederacy. Given to attendees of the Avatar Wizard course in Orlando, Florida, It included in its introduction, sentient beings first appeared on the core worlds of the Milky Way galaxy. The civilizations of Earth are the result of a much larger refugee relocation plan that I'm going to tell you about. Avatar's mission has changed by only a few little words here and there over the years from what I can tell. On its current website, it is as follows. The mission of Avatar, registered trademark, in the world is to catalyse the integration of belief systems. When we perceive that the only difference between us is beliefs and that beliefs can be created or discreated with ease, the right and wrong game will wind down, a co-create game will unfold and world peace will ensue. In the September 2000 reprint of Living Deliberately, the front of the e-book says that Avatar, registered trademark, is a seven to nine day self-evolvement course based on principles of consciousness defined and described by Harry Palmer. In Australian dollars, at the time of researching this episode, you can book the initial resurfacing, registered trademark, workshop for $330, 
the Section 2 course for $715 and the Section 3 course for $2,145. Or you can get what they call the Full Avatar course, which includes all of these, for $3,190. It must have evolved since the 2000 reprint of Living Deliberately, because these courses in their descriptions are now 8 to 11 days in duration if taken consecutively. The master course is listed in US currency at $3,310 for nine days and can now be done online, but previously also involved travel and accommodation costs for attendees. The description includes, after three back-to-back initiation sessions and several hours of persistent identity rundowns, students may have a hard time remembering their names, but they will have an absolute certainty on the workability of Avatar and the infinite and eternal expanse of source awareness. I've read in several places that Harry originally said that there would be no more courses after the master course, which was set up to train students to be able to teach the Avatar course themselves as Avatar Masters. There are now further courses, which I'll tell you a bit more about in a moment. He also supposedly told the original attendees that if any extra courses were developed in the future, they would be added to the original Avatar course and made available free to anyone who had previously taken it. Currently, you can retake some of the various Avatar courses for a reduced fee or for free if it's your first review and you're a licensed master. The license lasts 12 months. Courses also have required reading materials, which can be purchased from the Avatar online shop. The Avatar professional course is currently listed only as an in-person option in Orlando, Florida and costs US $2,760 plus travel expenses for seven days. Expected results include an increased personal sense of realness and an increased ability to perceive and operate deliberately in physical space and time. Then finally, the Avatar Wizard course is made up of five parts, but only two, Foundation and Empowerment, have course descriptions that I could locate. Each of these can be done online over five days, with each costing US $2,200. How and at what cost you access parts 3 to 5, perception, mental clarity and influences, remains a mystery. A quote from Harry Palmer on the website says, Every successful civilization has been the result of a core group of dedicated professionals that has laid the foundation and drafted the blueprints for the future. These are the individuals who get the show started. They are resourceful, often visionary, often unconventional. In the Star's Edge network, these are the wizards. If you recall, Harry had initially had to send 10%, then 15% royalties back to Scientology when he was running the Elmira mission. Avatar Masters are required to send 25% of the course fees they receive to Star's Edge, though this does reduce to 15% if you get to the level of Star Master. I've also come across the level QM or Qualified Master, but I'm unsure where this sits in the hierarchy. Harry's book Living Deliberately includes an example question from the very first Avatar test group. Will this help me with the upset I have with my wife? The answer given is this. It's your impression of your wife that you are upset with. Your impression does not depend upon your wife, but on your beliefs. You can change them. This kind of framing is going to feel familiar to regular listeners of this podcast. Absolutely, you do have some control over how you respond to bad things that happen. But taking the onus off anyone who has ever done the wrong thing and putting it back on yourself is not likely to foster healthy long-term interpersonal relationships. How might it play out in an abusive relationship, for instance? Chapter 18 of Living Deliberately is titled The New Civilization and is adapted from an Avatar Master Course graduation commencement address given by Harry Palmer in Nice, France on the 28th of April 1990. It includes, As a member of the Avatar Network, you work in the world but you stand outside of it. You now know that you are here by choice and with a mission. You are world redeemers. You are the wake-up crew. You understand that the problems of the world must ultimately be solved where they began, in consciousness. It also says, You have the possibility of achieving in your lifetime more planetary harmony than has ever before existed. If you think this is through dedicated advocacy work to improve global inequality, don't be silly. As Harry told the graduates, they could work to feed the hungry, protect the environment and speak for peace. 
But these efforts are only to buy you the time you need to expand Avatar and create an enlightened world. This is because, ultimately, all these problems must be solved within the collective consciousness of humanity. Like so many of these kinds of self-help courses, we come back to the idea that to change the world you have to change yourself, then spread the word so that others can come aboard to do the same. In 2014, Russell Blackstock wrote an article for the New Zealand Herald after attending a course undercover, to get the experience of a regular attendee rather than as a journalist. For the piece, he spoke with Otago University psychology lecturer Dr Jackie Hunter, whose opinion was that the Avatar program had no real scientific credibility attached to it. Quote, When you delve a bit deeper, it is all largely based on a concept of me, me, me. Focusing almost entirely on oneself, however, is unlikely to bring anyone much true happiness, just the opposite. The reporter also spoke with Cult Watch director Mark Vranovich, who said, The more time and money people invest in these types of courses, the less likely they are to back out because they do not want to realise they were wrong. Russell Blackstock sought comment from New Zealand Avatar master Simon Townsend, who said that any negative publicity, quote, mainly stems from a disgruntled former master in America who was an alcoholic and has since passed away, and that people who have been on a course and are negative or critical generally do so because there is generally something they have not wanted to look at responsibly and feel like blaming someone else. Simon also said, We do not recruit people and this is not multi-level marketing and nothing says anyone has to go on all of our courses. Simon and another Avatar follower made complaints to the New Zealand Press Council about the article, claiming that it was inaccurate, unfair and unbalanced. But neither complaint was upheld on the council's review. Annabelle moved from South Australia to Queensland in 2016, when she was in her early 30s. We're only using Annabelle's first name because Avatar is known to harass those who say anything negative about the programs. I've heard comparisons with Scientology's fair game tactics, which gave members carte blanche to use any and all methods to silence critics who they felt posed a threat to the church. Annabelle was setting up a new life for herself in a new state and she'd noticed a friend of hers was sharing lots of her own experiences with Avatar on social media. Annabelle had had some personal coaching from this friend in the past, and was keen on further personal development. She was someone that I very much trusted and looked up to also, I would say. So I said, all right, what's this about? Because it did appeal to me a lot as as a personal development course, and... She didn't put any pressure on me in any way or anything like that, but she just asked me more about what piqued my interest and I decided to go ahead and do the first three-day, I forget the names of everything, but the first three-day introductory course in a town nearby. Yeah, and it felt like I was moving to a new state, starting a new chapter, and I thought it was going to be this new. It was The timing seemed serendipitous and, yeah, so I just went for it. Annabelle's friend asked her what issues in her life she was looking to address. I remember saying it was that I thought I kept meeting the same versions of people in my life in in a cycle that that I wanted to. There was something in me that I wanted to change. And I will say that the answers were quite vague, but she said, oh, this will be perfect for you then. I don't know if I was particularly vulnerable to just hearing that, but that was almost enough for me to go, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't research it a lot, I will admit, but I also trusted my friend a lot. And if she was giving it the go-ahead, I was happy to at least go and check it out. There were a few things in the course that initially appealed to Annabelle. What I did really like in the first few days or the introductory course was there was a heavy focus on a rebellion against indoctrination, creating your own beliefs. You know, it's almost erasing any limited beliefs or beliefs that you'd taken on that were someone else's and creating your own and being being radically self-responsible and creating your own life the way you wanted it to go based on the new beliefs that the new you was going to embody. At the start of Living Deliberately, Harry Palmer wrote, 
the indoctrinations of how I should feel and how I should operate began to fall away. A true sense of personal responsibility awakened. After 10 years of spiritual study, I realized that all of what I had learned was what someone else believed. My mind was full of what someone else had concluded or imagined. Thought dragons keeping me from my own divine center. There's a fairly obvious irony in this, considering that the Avatar courses that are taught to these thousands of students are full of what Harry Palmer has concluded or imagined himself. And so in the beginning, it took me a long time to realise they're preaching, don't be indoctrinated while heavily indoctrinating you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I was at, yeah, in the beginning, I was just very excited to, it was the first thing I'd ever come across where people were like, go your own way, have your own free will, whatever you want to do is fine. There are no shoulds, and what society says doesn't matter. Annabelle travelled to Ipswich from the Gold Coast for her introductory course, which was taught to a small group of 20 to 30 students. Though the first course fee wasn't too high, there were other costs involved. It was essentially a multi-level marketing setup. So you're not made to, but you are required to buy a certain amount of books, which isn't cheap in itself so you read all the books and bring them to course for your first introductory three days and then you're very very much encouraged to go to a 10-day course after that which is I think three thousand dollars and then you're very very pressured to go to the next one which is in Florida which is all up fifteen thousand dollars and about 10 days or two weeks and then the next, and there's always another one. And once you get to that stage where I just mentioned, they're all in Florida. And if you can bring further people onto course, then you get a little, a commission. Annabelle estimates that she spent maybe $40,000 in less than 12 months. Though that figure includes travel and accommodation costs for two trips to the USA and one to Bali. So that's not all in course fees going to Avatar. We would all cram as many of us as we could into one room (laughs) to save costs. And if you couldn't afford it, they would loan you the money internally, like have an internal contract signed up that another member would loan you. They would just pay it on their credit card and you would pay them back at whatever you could afford. Annabelle didn't know at what point those in the structure above her were receiving payment themselves as they transitioned into more senior roles just that if she brought people in, she would get a cut of their course fees. But the expectation that some in the organisation were to take on personal debt to see more students able to complete the courses sounds highly unethical to me. Margie, the woman who had been third on the ladder in the early days of Avatar, made the point in the YouTube interview that I'll link from the website page, that if it was really about planetary enlightenment, it wouldn't be made only available to those who could afford the course fees, nor would it encourage them to go into debt to do the courses. At the end of a course, you were feeling so inspired and so excited about the new life you were creating and they place a video of the next big flash course just at the right time and it makes you really, really want to be there. And then there's a conversation about getting you there and I would have it with them and I would genuinely want it to go but in the back of my mind I thought, but I can't afford it so it's not – and they know that. So – the conversation was like, went on for a long, long time and then they get you to say, if I could afford it, I would go. They said, if money wasn't an issue, would you be there? And then you say yes and then they say, well, there's an option. And they so that's like the last draw card and then they offer you the money to go. And so I took that, yeah, for both Florida trips, I took the loan option. Annabelle told me that the interest rates on the loan were low, so it was an attractive offer, but that's still putting people into debt who may not have the means to repay the money. It sounds risky to both the lender and the receiver. I wasn't working at the time and I just moved. Or I was working very casually. I wasn't making much money. And it was a very high stress factor in my life at the time. And I remember doing a process with one of the coaches and she said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, finances. And she said, oh, is that what you want to address? (laughs) I said, yes, it's the biggest stress in my life at the moment. And so... And then saying, oh, I'd like to go, but I can't afford it. But you're very much encouraged. If you really want it, you just create it. You create the belief that you create the wealth and you be there. It's just, it was always, if you want it, you've got to create it for yourself while heavily pressuring you to get to the next thing that's costing 
thousands and thousands of dollars. In Florida, Annabelle got to hear directly from Harry Palmer himself. She says it was like a special guest appearance when he was there. He came across as just a bit of a gooby grandfather type. He didn't seem to have that grandiose affliction that a lot of those leaders sort of have, but Avra did, his partner. She had a bit more of an untouchable air about her more than he did. He seemed quite, I mean, yeah, he was kind of arrogant, but it didn't seem like unapproachable or like he thought he was God or anything, not so much as as Avra, I would say. He had that professor look about him. He just had a scruffy beard and glasses and daggy slacks and like, you know, button-up shirts. (laughs) And Avra, I don't know, she just had a quality about her that was, she just seemed a bit scary. I don't know. Just seeing the way that she spoke to People, her manner with people was very stern and condescending, I would say. But then when she was on stage, she was so warm and lovely. The Florida courses had many more attendees than the introductory three days in Ipswich. The amount of people Mm. at those Florida courses, huge. The whole hotel would just be avatar people and then we'd have this humongous bigger than a conference room, bigger than a ballroom. It's just, I don't know, a a huge room full of people from all over the world. I I couldn't even guess how many people were on those courses, so many. There was lots of scurrying around high secrecy and we were made to sign confidentiality forms that none of the material that we were given was to be shown to anyone or discussed ever. It was all top secret and anything that went on in a room before you were allowed in if you were a student was top secret you weren't allowed to uh, you could ask them but nothing was ever because I said to my friend who was above me what do you do in there for so long when we're waiting to come in she said it's not to be it's not to be discussed (laughs) there was plenty drawing Annabelle into the avatar ecosystem in the early days so when the coaches are loving on you and being so creating such a nice space for you and you feel so safe that's the thing that got me kept me going to the next thing and the next thing because I thought oh I want to be like that and I want to do this for people that like me are seeking something and they can feel so welcome so that's the thing that kept me going to the next thing like I thought I can make a career out of this or it'll be great training to be some kind of coach or not a therapist but you know some kind of space holder for people because sometimes I think why did I keep going back it was so bizarre but I think that's why because I thought it was training me to be to be able to contribute not to the enlightened planetary consciousness but just to to society in some way. But there was another big thing drawing her in too. Annabelle had been involved with multi-level marketing before and found the pressure in Avatar to be above and beyond anything she'd experienced there. The representatives wouldn't let her off the phone until she'd made a commitment to the next course. So shall we book the flight, Annabelle? Is it a yes? (laughs) Very heavy pressure. She noticed something else she found odd as well. Everyone within Avatar, I learned throughout my few trips, only mixed with people from Avatar. So... In my other multi-level marketing business, you were free to carry on your life and mix with whoever you chose. (laughs) You weren't isolated from friends and family. But, yeah, you are isolated. And I noticed that any of the couples were only, they were either single or they were only coupled up with avatar people who were also on course. As you moved up the ranks, there was no one who had anything to do with a romantic coupling outside of avatar. Multiple stories from former members scattered across various forums tell of pressure to break up relationships with any partner who wasn't fully supportive of Avatar, even if they were just asking questions about the time commitment or money spent. One former master shared of her experiences, quote, Weddings of dear friends, the birth of my niece, funerals and birthday celebrations of dear friends and family all missed because I was convinced contributing to the creation of an EPC by creating more avatars, masters and wizards was the most important thing I could be doing with my time. Annabelle wasn't heavily influenced to distance herself from friends and family. 
but she recalls being told that they might not really understand, that they aren't enlightened yet. She does remember someone else whose family was concerned. I roomed with a girl who was laughing about the fact that her family told her that it was a cult and she was going, isn't that crazy? And I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's clearly not a cult. (laughs) Annabelle actually took her own mother along to an avatar course and that's where she says she got her first scolding for not doing things the right way. So it was in Ipswich again and it was the three-day introductory course and I booked mum and I accommodation at a hotel somewhere and then when we got to course on the first day, they were asking about what my room number was and I said, I'm not staying here, I'm staying somewhere else. And it was like I was scolded, like, you are to stay in this hotel. You cannot stay in the same room as your mother or anyone you bring on to course. This is not how it's done. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. And I remember thinking, why? What's the problem? Oh, you can't have student-teacher mixings outside of the classroom. You students go over here and the teacher goes over here. Very strict on it. When Annabelle says very strict, the way she explained this interaction to me made me think of being treated like a naughty child. She used the word scolded and it's not the only time she felt scolded at Avatar. It's worth thinking about whether it's ever appropriate for an adult to be scolded or whether this is a hot and cold approach that keeps a person off balance and puts them in their place, psychologically speaking. It's something I've certainly experienced in workplaces that I would suggest were toxic. I asked Annabelle what she could tell me about the content of the courses themselves and what kinds of exercises they involved. There's a few. We were heavily coached on how to have phone calls to recruit and we would role-play conversations. We spent a long time doing that. To, to recruit more people. There was a lot where we would play with energy and there was one exercise where we would have to, so two people would come together, one would deliberately get in a sort of low energetic state and you would have to purely with your eyes and energy lift their state and they would let you know when it had happened. And you would start off doing that in front of each other and then you'd get further and further across the room and supposedly block everyone out and still be able to shift that one person's energy. So it was sometimes I thought, oh, surely people aren't really feeling this, like it can't be real. But I think it was just a way to get us to influence people. That was one. There was another one where we had to repeat the same statement over and over and over and over and over again until until you just kind of it broke you it was like it reminds me kind of a little bit of just someone prodding you and prodding you until you can't take any more and you have a reaction and and then that's observed it was kind of like that I can't clearly remember any other processes that but there were so many all kind of similarly like that like playing with our own our mental state our energetic state influencing other people's energetic states and coaching how to talk to people to influence them (laughs) I found it interesting that part of the courses that Annabelle was paying to attend for reasons of self-development seemed to include training around the recruitment of others. I didn't get the impression her self-development aims ever encompassed anything to do with sales techniques. When former member Margie heard about some of the newer exercises in Avatar that started up well after she'd left, she did a follow-up interview with the Avatar Uncovered YouTube channel to talk about how these sounded like they came directly from Scientology. The exercise Annabelle described with a pair of people sitting across from each other and flowing their energy. Margie says this is straight from Scientology's TRs or training routines. She also said that the way that you have to write down all of your transgressions is very similar to Scientology as well. Though Annabelle didn't mention this aspect to me, so she may not have reached a point where that was required. I remembered Annabelle had mentioned wanting to get help with her relationship patterns and how her finances were a big issue in her life. And I wondered whether any of the exercises seemed to address any of the problems she'd initially hoped she might be able to sort out. No, it became about, so their catchphrase and their mission was an enlightened planetary consciousness. And so it just became about contributing to the EPC. Mm. Yeah, I, for, I forgot my stuff. I, yeah, I just got so caught up in it that that's the first time I've ever thought that. I thought, oh no, that never actually got addressed. <laughs> Thank you.
Annabelle took her partner at the time, Tyler, to an avatar course in Bali, Indonesia. He was attending as a student and she as his master. One of the courses she'd taken in Florida was to get to master level in avatar. I went off and started to do one of the processes with him that I'd done many times with other people. It's, it's eluding me now exactly what it was, but I thought, oh, it's pretty straightforward. And I started to do it with Tyler. And it was one of those things where you kind of, you're prodding and like waiting to get through so many layers that there's an emotional reaction. And something in him started to really change and like the look in his eyes changed and I felt very like unsafe in that moment and unable to handle what I was doing. And I said, oh, I've got to uh, have a break for a minute. And I went to get the main Australia head guy, Simon. And I said, oh, I can't continue on with this process with Tyler. And he said, like, like berating, what are you doing doing that process with Tyler? You're not supposed to do that with him. It's supposed to be from someone else. And I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought he was here as my student. So I just started doing it. No one, there were no rules about it. And it was very similar to the accommodation story. It was just like, like being scolded. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone else can take over. So pretty much for the 10 days that Tyler was there doing the course, and because I wasn't supposed to actually be coaching him through anything, I just sat around for 10 days at the resort or wherever we were. And I realized that all the other coaches are just sitting around all day. I was like, I would not have done this if I'd known that's what why does he even need me here? Someone else is coaching him through all these things and whatever. And I'm just like sitting, waiting all day, but you're not allowed to leave. But it was not made clear. It's just very bizarre, very bizarre. So that was a standout thing. I got pretty resentful after that. I think that was the last thing I did actually, the last course, because after that I thought, I can't. How are people doing this on course after course, just sitting around waiting for their students all day? They start you at 7 a.m. or something. You don't leave till 9 p.m. So they do that thing where they keep you exhausted. (laughs) Very long, grueling days. So you just go and collapse in bed and then up and at it again the next day. But I was up and at it to just sit around. It was was just not it. There were a few other signs that things were perhaps not what Annabelle originally thought she'd signed up for on the courses. I just, I got hints of, extreme things like this you you should only need this much sleep and if your thoughts stray at all you've got to go to a person and be debugged like any thought outside of what we're doing was a bug in your system essentially and you had to go and do a process and yeah if that didn't work oh we've got to go to someone higher and, and get it out of you. I asked a little more about the sleep direction and Annabelle says she had personal experience of being told no more than six hours was necessary. Yeah, should absolutely not need any more than six hours sleep. Even though we were doing 14-hour days of intense emotional processes, shouldn't need any more than six hours sleep. In the end, though, it was the intensely high-pressure phone calls trying to commit her to the next expensive course and the one after that turned Annabelle away from Avatar. I thought, I know I'm not getting off that phone call until they've made me commit to something. And just that feeling of dread and I thought, oh, but if I don't answer the call... They're just going to keep calling and why didn't you answer? You made a commitment to the call. And I just thought there's no way out. If I keep doing this, there's going to be no way out and I'll be one of those people who's in debt and can't get away. And so eventually I just, it was a very meek no, (laughs) but eventually I've just found the guts to be able to say like, no, I'm not going to the next course. Across the internet, you can read stories of people who have lost major assets to pay for the courses and have ended up bankrupt or with tens of thousands of dollars of debt to friends, relatives and financial institutions. Many have also lost their relationships with loved ones whom they alienated during their time with Avatar, and some say they know of episodes of psychosis brought on by the exercises and people who died by suicide after their experiences. As we know, mental health issues are prevalent across society so it is difficult to draw a direct line where this may be correlation rather than causation. Annabelle had been involved for less than a year all up. I asked her how her meek no eight years ago went down with Avatar. 
not that well, but they left me alone eventually. They kept trying to call and I still get emails to this day, but yeah, they eventually left me alone. And I'm like very glad it was within the first, when I think of how many trips I did in 12 months, that's crazy. But yeah, thankfully I didn't get any further along because definitely the deeper you get, the harder it would be to leave, I would imagine. Because of the length of her involvement, Annabelle feels she didn't suffer too many ill effects as a result of disengaging with Avatar. She didn't lose any friendships and she hadn't isolated herself from people outside of the organisation. She does have a good deal of resentment and anger around the elements she feels were misleading about the courses, but aside from the monetary loss, she thinks she got off pretty lightly overall. Although Annabelle recognised she needed to get out at the time, she didn't identify her experience as cultic at all until just a couple of years ago. I'd had a few little moments, but I just thought that was part of the process of, you know, personal growth is uncomfortable. And then when the phone calls, it just just felt yuck. So I eventually just found the balls to say no. (laughs) And yeah, it wasn't until I watched that documentary on Nexium and it's just, I can't remember the girl's name, but when she was talking about the processes of what, how they would coach you through certain things, they were all the same as Avatar with different names. I couldn't, my jaw was on the floor. I thought, oh my gosh, this is all the same I didn't realize how heavily I was being manipulated (laughs) and yeah coerced through all these little things that were exactly the same that she was describing and then when I found out they're both sort of Scientology influenced it was just like a big eye-opener that was only probably two years ago so yeah here I want to point out that Annabelle never engaged with any other former Avatar attendees or read any of the negative blogs and forums that I've dived into. She avoided connecting with anyone who had any involvement because she wanted to distance herself from the entire experience. She wasn't influenced by anyone with a vendetta against Avatar. Annabelle spoke with me completely independently, after coming to her own conclusions and recognising red flags in the teachings and behaviours from other sources. Avatar appears to have mostly stayed out of the media for the last few years, though British former Avatar master Amanda Reid launched the Avatar Uncovered website in 2018, which includes a YouTube channel and stories of many former students. Avatar popped up briefly in the New Zealand press again in 2022, when an Avatar master led a Wellington City Council meeting prayer, which resulted in some concerns being raised by another councillor, as well as an article in Stuff. The council's prayers are rotated through different faith groups, and the Avatar prayer was an empathy exercise which I assume is the one from Avatar's Compassion Project. Packs of cards with steps of this exercise can be purchased at the Avatar online store, and the website claims that as part of the project, many thousands of cards have been sent to institutions across the world. These include almost 12,000 Compassion cards sent to the Australian Governor-General and Parliament over 27,000 to every senator and congressperson in the USA, and 1,500 delivered to the Christchurch Mayor, the Red Cross, and the CEO of the Christchurch Earthquake Recovery Team in New Zealand. In a 1996 interview with a Dutch magazine, Harry Palmer said, We all choose our own truth, an opinion, an idea, a belief. If only we could understand that there is no objective, solid truth, but that we all hold our own beliefs. If we would accept and respect this in each other, then there would be no more conflicts. Margie, once third in command at the Centre for Creative Learning, wrote five years earlier, I find it interesting that Harry creates a system to teach people that everything is their creation. This very conveniently makes him not responsible for the effects he has created on other people and their lives. In April, Harry Palmer will celebrate his 80th birthday. His partner, Avra Honey-Smith will turn 75 in September. It remains to be seen what will happen to Avatar when Harry is no longer around.
Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Let's Talk About Sects. You can access ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash ltaspod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. You can also listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, which is linked in the show notes, and grab yourself a copy of Joe Gould's soundtrack album, Nobody Joins a Cult, which you can also stream on Spotify. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written and researched by me, Sarah Steele. It was edited and mixed by Matt Brazel, with original music composed by Joe Gould. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks again to Audio-Technica, presenting partner for Season 6 of the show. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, be sure to head to audio-technica.com.au to check out their range of headphones and turntables, and mics that'll make your remote working setup on point. For every episode this season, a lucky listener will win a pair of ATH-SQ1TW wireless earbuds. Head to www.ltaspod.com win to enter. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support with or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention at iasp.info. Catch you again next episode.